whatever you do, do it in an honorable way, do it in the right way. Uh, and of course you should go after important goals, uh, but when you're trying to achieve those goals, uh, be honest, be compassionate, uh, be honorable. So I think that's, that's what I see as the biggest um, human mistake these days and, and probably through, throughout history. Welcome back to the Max Out Show, where today I'm joined by one of the world's leading scholars in human development and creating a life of purpose, Dr. William Damon. William is a professor of education at Stanford University, as well as director of the Stanford Center on Adolescence. He's been named as one of the 50 most influential psychologists in the world, and his work on purpose, morality, and parenting has received raving reviews from scientists and practitioners alike. So William, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm delighted to be here. Nice to meet you. And I'm very excited to have you. And what I love about you and your work is that you study human possibility. So instead of just you know, looking at the way things are, you actually look at the way that things could be. And you, you know, look at it from both you know, science and also then real world leaders like Nelson Mandela and Eleanor Roosevelt to, to really help all of us become better human beings. So I'm really curious, like, what made you fascinated in this field in the first place? <laughs> well, it's a good question. There were intellectual reasons and personal reasons. The intellectual reasons, it, and you alluded to this when you uh, began your talk, uh, intellectually, I perceived the whole field of psychology as being oriented towards the past. Uh, all of the experiences that supposedly shape and determine the personality and what you're like and what your destiny is. And it seemed to me that at least as important it is what people aspire to, what they, what they dream of, what they believe in, which is future oriented. What kind of a person do you want to be? And what kind of a life do you want to li live? And even thinking when your life is over, thinking way in advance, what do you want to say about your life? What would, what would you like to uh, be able to say, this is the kind of life I've had? Those are all future aspirations. And so intellectually, I felt that I ought to do my part in moving the field uh, away from this backward-looking uh, idea that the past determines everything and towards a more forward-looking view that people can determine their own destiny. People have agency, they have control by having dreams and aspirations and then working really hard to find out how to fulfill those aspirations. So that was intellectually and personally, I had a lot of experiences with young people uh, with um, some work I had done as a camp counselor and uh, as a teacher and where I could see how much talent and, uh, and uh, hope and aspiration young people have. And I didn't think that that was recognized very well uh, by the field of child development. So I, along with a couple of other colleagues, began a new movement in what's now called positive youth development. So those were the two uh, reasons that I, uh, that I um, moved into the field of uh, studying per purpose and moral commitment and all of these 
um, kinds of ideas that people have that actually give them a chance to control and shape their own destiny and decide what kind of life they want to lead. Yeah, and you've certainly done a tremendous job really really curating that, that research and, and summarizing and getting it out there and, and really explain to people how much change is actually possible. And so, you know, I'm a huge fan. I'm finishing up my master's degree in positive psychology right now. So naturally, just just super <laughs> interested in all, all that you do. And I think it's, it's tremendously important for people to understand that, yes, your past does not equal your future, meaning that we can always at any point in our lives, have that agency, like you said, and a control of like choosing a new direction, choosing a better life and, and not dictating, you know, having it dictated by, by our past. And, and so that is really important. So maybe to, to sort of set a basis for this conversation, can you define for people, like, what do you actually mean by, by purpose in life? Purpose has uh, three important components. And I want to emphasize that it's a unique concept. A lot of people uh, conflate it with meaning and they say, I want to have a life of meaning and purpose. Meaning is important also, but it's only one part of purpose. Purpose uh, incorporates a number of things that are very special to purpose itself. So here are the three important criteria for purpose. Uh, one of them is meaning. So meaning is part of purpose. It has to be meaningful to the person. Nobody can order you or command you to have a purpose. You have to believe in it yourself. So it, it does have to be meaningful. That's one. But in addition, purpose is a long-term goal that reflects a commitment. So it's not just a one-time, it's not just going to a, a movie or, a, or, or reading a poem and you say, that's not purpose. Or even doing something heroic, uh, for example, jumping in a river to save a drowning child or something. That's a very good thing to do. But you would not say, that's my purpose in life. You did it once. It's not your purpose in life, uh, unless you stand by the river for all the time, watching out for children dropping in. But that's probably not going to happen. So in addition to me being meaningful, it has to be a long-term commitment. And then third, and this is very important, there has to be some element that's beyond the self. It's not all about me. Uh, and so just trying to accumulate a lot of money or buy a fancy BMW car or, uh, or anything like that is not a purpose in life. A purpose has to have consequence to the world beyond the self. And when you put those three things together, uh, it makes purpose a very special uh, psychological capacity that brings a lot to the world, obviously, because people who are purposeful contribute a lot, but it also does very special things to the self. It gives you a sense of direction in life. And in, in a lot of ways, uh, purposeful people have energy, they're highly motivated, they are resilient, and it's all because it's a long-term commitment that's beyond the self. That's why, that's why purpose is so beneficial to both other people and yourself. Wow, I love that so much. And especially this aspect of also serving other people and focusing on other people. Because one of, one of the challenges that I see, especially, you know, many, many other young people, students, um, they're trying to figure out what they want to do is they only focus on themselves, right? They only look at like, what do I enjoy? And then so they end up being like, I want to be a video gamer, right? Because like, that's what I love to do. Uh, but, but the question is always like, how does that actually like contribute something useful to the world also? 
You're right. And, and one of the confusions that people make uh, is that they confuse the concept of purpose with the concept of passion. And so a lot of young people say, oh, I want to find my passion in life. And they think that's the same thing as finding your purpose. And it's not. Of course, passion is, is a good thing, and it's good to do things you enjoy doing. But that's not purpose. In fact, uh, purpose can sometimes be not very passionate at all. It can be a quiet, steady commitment that uh, isn't that exciting even, but you stick with it. Uh, and so uh, I think where a lot of young people get confused is they think, well, my passion is video games or my passion is uh, is dressing, uh, in a, is, is my passion is having beautiful earrings or whatever. Uh, you know, all, that's fun and people should enjoy life, but that's not a purpose. A purpose is something that really reflects a commitment to make a consequence to the world beyond the self. Yeah, that's so important. So you, you mentioned this or, or sort of alluded to this concept of noble versus the heroic purpose in our lives. So can you share a little bit about, about like why we don't all need to be these superheroes in order to live a purposeful life? Yeah, thank you for saying that. That's very important. Uh, and I may have contributed to that confusion a bit myself because I like to study moral exemplars, people like Nelson Mandela, because I learn a lot from them. But purpose is something that applies to every human being uh, that is dedicated to something beyond the self. It does not have to be an elite, professional, uh, heroic uh, endeavor at all. In fact, parents, most mothers and fathers, if they're really dedicated to raising their children, they're being purposeful. That's very ordinary. People all over the world do that. In every occupation, um, whether it, it could be, um, it could be sweeping the streets, uh, any occupation, if you believe in it and you try to do a good job, and you don't need an education, you don't need anything uh, that is at all an executive level uh, occupation. Uh, purpose can be very ordinary. Uh, now, there are people who have been heroic and they are very interesting to study uh, and we can learn a lot from them, but we don't, at all need to feel that we are inadequate because we don't live up to that standard. Uh, we can be purposeful in very, very common kinds of activities. Yes, that's so important. So, so how much do you think that is a process of, of finding something outside of you versus like looking at your current life and then deciding that you're going to bring more purposeful yeah. thoughts to, to how you're actually living right now already? It's actually both... Both of those are needed. Uh, when, when we give advice about how, how is it that teachers and other people can uh, encourage young people to develop purpose, uh, we say, well, number one, and this is what you were asking, number one, help the child get to know himself or herself. In other words, what is the child's talent and interests? Uh, so what is it about me? Uh, that I can do, that I enjoy doing, and that I can imagine myself doing with enough consistency that I become good at it. So that's looking inward, but also then looking outwards as to what does the world need? Uh, what kinds of things could I do to improve the world? And it could be anything. Uh, uh, as I said, it can be something very common, like a, I could be a good, um, I, I could be, I could become a, a good teacher. I could become a good uh, house painter. 
uh, or uh, it could be something in, in the arts. I could become a good uh, piano player or a jazz musician. It could be medicine. I could be a nurse or a doctor. Uh, but what is it that the world needs that I enjoy doing and that I can do well? And so you, ha you have to put those things together in order to then develop, uh, eventually to develop a vocation. Yes, I absolutely love that. So it really sounds like it's also about bringing that attitude then of, of a full commitment to that purpose of, of truly wanting to be your best self and truly wanting to serve in that, in that way. That's right. And, and of course, it's easier to commit to things that you enjoy doing. So that's why it is good to think, what are my interests? You know, if I'm tone deaf and I can't hear the difference in notes, I'm not going to want to be a music composer, for example, I don't think. Uh, I wouldn't be very good at it. <laughs> uh, so that's something I, even if I love music, uh, that would be, I would say to myself, well, that's not my contribution to the world. Uh, I'll just enjoy going to concerts, but I, I can't hear the, the difference in notes. So I'm not going to try to do that. So you do have to do things that you are able to do and that you enjoy doing, but then you want to do things that other people need or that, that that do improve the world, that the world needs in some way to improve uh, life. Yeah, and I definitely think this, this aspect of practicalities is really crucial here. Um, in fact, you talk about these, these three opposites sort of, of, of the purposeful life, the disengaged life, the dreamers and the dabblers. It sounds like those are really the dreamers, the people that they have these big and lofty visions and dreams, but they can't actually practically make that happen. So yes, can you great. share about those obstacles that are standing in the way? Yeah, no, that's very good. That's a good insight. You're right. That I think what I had described is the dreamers. And just as you said, uh, what we call the dreamers were a lot of young people who had beautiful ideas and aspirations, but they, for example, uh, somebody who w would love to become a, a, uh, a film director and make wonderful movies. Uh, but the person, this young person had never, ever uh, tried to even uh, do a video recording of anything. Just the, person, the, the boy had only gone to see movies. <laughs> and so there was nothing, there was, there, were no, there was no talent involved or no, uh, uh, active, no activity towards that end. Uh, the, other, the other pattern we see uh, we call the dabblers, meaning uh, young people that do a lot of things and they, and they work hard and often they're things that they're told to do. They do their homework, they do their soccer lessons, their piano lessons, their, uh, their community service. Uh, they have a list of things that everyone's telling them what to do, but none of them mean anything to, to them. Uh, they, they, don't, they don't commit because they don't think any of them are that important. They just do them because they're told to do them. Uh, and they're good kids, and they have a lot of potential, but they haven't found anything that they believe in themselves. So that's another obstacle, is when you are a very good, uh, obedient child or, or young person, but you haven't found anything for yourself that you can throw yourself into. Uh, those two patterns that I mentioned, the dreamers and the dabblers, they're often transitional patterns. Uh, because a lot of young people grow out of that. Uh, a lot of the dreamers finally do find something that they actually get active about and are able to do. And so they 
become purposeful. And the dabblers eventually very often find something they believe in. Not all of them, but, uh, but a good number of them eventually become purposeful. The most disturbing pattern that we see, we call the drifters. And it's disturbing because they have found no goals at all that are important to them. And in fact, they just, uh, they either are having a very good time, they're very hedonistic, and so they don't see any reason to do anything other than uh, just pursue momentary pleasure. Or sometimes it's the opposite. Uh, some of them are anxious and depressed and very miserable, uh, and they are very upset about having nothing to aspire to. But they have no goals, uh, and that's the most difficult pattern to move in a developmental sense because it's hard to talk to a young person who has no goals. It's hard to talk to them about any kind of future um, uh, uh, aspirations because they don't see the importance of it. So how, how, do you, how do you try to help people like that then? Like if they, if they have no goals and, and they would like to have some, but they're just, there's like in their mind, it just doesn't, like there's just nothing they, they come up with that would be worthy of, you know, dedicating their life to. Like how can you help people um, you know, try to find sort of some some kind of goals in their lives. Yeah, it's a very it's a very difficult question. Uh, I'll tell you a little story. Uh, I once had the honor of being in a dialogue, a public dialogue with the Dalai Lama, wow. uh, when he was opening his North American uh, center, and he invited me and a few other people to have one-on-one -on -one dialogues. And the format was: I gave a talk on purpose and on the subject of purpose. And then I, he could ask me one question and I could ask him one question. Wow. And it was very formal, but very beautiful. And so the question I asked him was exactly the question that you just asked me, which is, what do you do about young people who have no goals at all? How do you get them, how do you even talk to them about it? Or, and so he gave me a, an answer, a very wise answer. Uh, he said, you need to do two things and do them both. Um, you need to, first of all, uh, show, describe to them in very vivid terms how empty and unsatisfying a life without goals uh, can be and give the young person a lot of examples of people who have had no goals and they drift through life and they're, they, they don't develop the kind of relationships or friendships or they, they don't have any interests beyond themselves they just wither away. At the same time, he said, don't, don't stop there. Uh, he said, that's not enough. You also need to show them the joy of a purposeful life. Of, of, so not just the downside, not only how miserable you would be, but show them some of the fruits, uh, some of the benefits, uh, again, with a lot of examples of people who have had purposeful lives and the joy that that brings them. And he said, when you do both of those things, uh, and it takes a while, uh, when you do both of those things, eventually the message will come across. So that was a very wise person's answer, uh, much wiser than me. Uh, uh, and, and I took that very seriously and learned a lot from him. Yeah, wow, I, I absolutely love that. Um, did not expect that. So, so, so what, are, what are some of those, those kinds of people that, that you personally look up to or they're like, whose stories you would tell of like examples of these incredibly purposeful lives? 
Well, uh, you know, I wrote a book uh, with my wife um, called The Power of Ideals, and we profiled six of those people. Uh, and uh, as I, I think we already mentioned, one of them was Nelson Mandela, and he's a very good example. Uh, he was thriving all the way into his 90s and a very joyful person, uh, even though he had a very difficult life. But look at all the things he did for the world, and especially with his campaign for truth and forgiveness. He set an example for everybody um, and, um, and also had a very good time. If you, there's a very good movie called Invictus uh, uh, about, his, about, him, about the way he uh, uh, championed the rugby, the sport of rugby in South Africa. Uh, uh, and uh, so he, he would be one example, a living example, we studied uh, and wrote about in the book called The Power of Ideals. Yeah, and, and, and there seems to be this, this common denominator among all these people. And it's, it's a fantastic book, by the way, for all of our uh, listeners. Definitely worth a read. Um, which is the, like, the, the greatest leaders I found is, you know, like studying biographies and also in my own life is like the greatest leaders are so focused on other people and making them better rather than on, on yourself. And you have this quote that I absolutely love, which is, Uh, that like fulfillment comes from not thinking less of the self, of oneself, but thinking of oneself less. Yes. So thank can you share about what that actually means? Uh, yes. And thank you for saying that. I, I love that quote myself and learned a lot from it. Uh, that's exactly right. That a lot of people think that, um, that, well, uh, I don't want to be humble. It's not good to be too humble because that means you degrade yourself. You, 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 um, It, you're self-deprecating, and that's not good to be self-deprecating. You should be proud of yourself. But the wonderful quote um, from Abraham Heschel was that, uh, no, it's actually not uh, thinking that you're not good or thinking that you're less. Uh, being humble means you just don't think about yourself that much. You think about other people. You have a perspective. I'm just one person in this whole world, and I, you keep that in perspective. You can still be very happy with yourself and very proud of yourself and uh, very satisfied. Uh, uh, that's fine. But it's just that you don't always think about yourself all the time. You think about your friends and your family and the world at large and what you can do for the other people. Yeah. Do you think that actually is a problem? Like, uh, and I, I see this a lot in like adolescents growing up, right? Um, like that, that generation is raised with like social media and others. They're so self-focused on like, how am I looking? Like how do other people perceive me and all that kind of stuff? Like, do you think that leads to, to some of those problems that we see now? I do. And, and there's something else also. Uh, I think that um, in modern or contemporary child rearing, um, people sometimes can be excessively child-centered. And they don't, people don't, parents and teachers don't have high enough expectations for young people. And it's good for young people to expect them to work hard, to achieve, to strive for excellence, and to serve, to serve other people. And too often, uh, parents give the child the message that you're so important, uh, everybody, uh, we're all worried about you, we all love you. Uh, don't, don't get yourself too stressed out. Don't, uh, and that's the wrong message for kids. Uh, uh, young people um, do well when you expect a lot of them with love in a loving way. Uh, but when you expect a lot of them, 
both uh, achievement and service. Uh, they th that that's when young people thrive, not when you overindulge them. And uh, and so I think that is the contemporary mistake that shows up in, then in a lot of um, problems that we see in in younger people. Yes, I, de I definitely do think that is so important, right? That you have someone like a mentor, a parent, a friend that actually expects you to to show up in a way that, that you're supposed to, right? And I found that like that like that that additional accountability or like those those external people actually looking at you saying like, hey, you messed this up right now. You gotta do you gotta step up your game. You have to do better than this, right? You you can do better, you can be better. I found that so powerful and and also like building my personal relationships and looking for people that are willing to do exactly that and are willing to hold you accountable and, and give you that mirror in your face and be like, this is not you, right? Exactly. I still remember I had a teacher in the ninth grade that uh, would not let me get away with doing mediocre work. He was very strict with me. And he sat me down once and he said, Mr. Damon, you have to learn to take everything you do in this world seriously. <laughs> everything matters. Everything matters. So don't give me any of these uh, half-baked uh, papers and essays anymore. I still remember that. And he did me a big favor, even though he was very strict with me. But that was a big favor he did for me. He cared enough to have high standards for me. That's a sign that you care for somebody when you have high standards. I love that. I actually never thought about that way, but I actually love this idea that like you, you care. It means you, you truly care about that person. Um, and I think it's, it's something that we have all witnessed in our, our greatest leaders in our world is like they have such high standards of morality. And I want to dive deeper into that later and like for how people should act and how people should treat each other and all that. And that really yeah. starts to spread around your, your social circles, right? That's exactly right. Absolutely. Love that. And, you know, it's, it's this, this idea that like building character and company actually comes from setting these high standards also for ourselves. Like how do you view that sort of thing? Like, like, yes, setting it for other people. Is it the same for, for ourselves that we should, you know, set these incredibly high bars for ourselves? Yes. Uh, of course, you also need to be forgiving of yourself. Uh, I mean, it, it, it's good to have uh, to reach and to stretch and to try hard. But also, this is where a bit of humility comes in. Have a sense of perspective. We're all human. We make mistakes. We're always going to make mistakes. So we should not beat ourselves up if we make a mistake, but we should commit ourselves to learning from the mistakes and trying harder. And yes, try as hard as we can. But after you try the, your best, after that, you, you have to say, well, um, fine, I tried my best. That was my achievement. Uh, you, you shouldn't be worried if you don't succeed all the time. That, that's, uh, that's not realistic. Uh, we will never, none of us will succeed all the time. And in fact, it's a good sign when you don't always succeed. It means you're trying, you're trying to do difficult things. Yes, for sure. So, so is that really a matter then of, of changing the, the sort of self-narrative and what we build our identity around and what we sort of reward ourselves for? Yeah, I, I think the idea of identity is very important, um, that we should always be re-examining who we are and tell, in a sense, tell ourselves life, tell ourselves life stories about wh why am I the way I am now? Where did I come from? Uh, what has given me uh, the advantages I have? What, wh what has 
given me the limitations that I have. And then think about the kind of person that you would like to be in the future. And a lot of it is, has to be built on what you are now. And we, will, we all have limits, but we can certainly um, take charge of our lives and move it in the direction that we want. And that's a question of identity, of building an identity, being realistic about who you are uh, so you don't overinflate. Uh, you know, I, if I tell myself, well, I'm Napoleon or something, that would, <laughs> that would be great self-deception. Uh, so, you know, I have to be honest about who I am. Uh, but then you can also dream a bit and say, well, who would I like to be? And, uh, and, and work towards that uh, in, in a way that is humble, that you realize, you know, you're, you're, uh, you, can, um, you can make some self uh, grow. You can grow. Uh, to, to, but, but, of course, there will always be limits on what you can do. Yeah, so, so I absolutely agree that this, this grandiose self-deception obviously is a huge problem that we face nowadays. Um, but do you think that, that self-deception can be used in a positive way then in terms of um, allowing us or giving us the confidence that we need to tackle huge goals that we may not be capable of achieving yet? Well, I wouldn't call it self-deception. I, uh, I think honesty is, is always the right thing. Uh, but what I would say is that you can have a, a bit of a, what we would call a romantic view of the self. In other <laughs> words, you can think of, you could, you could think of yourself, you can dream, uh, and, and you're allowed to have a certain even level of fantasy. Uh, uh, but I wouldn't call that deception as long as you realize, well, of course I'm dreaming right now. And, uh, you know, I'm not seriously believing that I'm like this, but on the other hand, I can hope, I can hope that I can approximate it. Uh, so it's it's like you reach for it's like you reach for a star, and you know you're not going to be able to grab the star. Uh, you know you know it's way out of reach, but the act of reaching brings you in that direction, and that's a healthy thing. I think. Yeah, so 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 it definitely sounds like romanticizing uh, would would be the better word there, and 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 yes. you touched upon something really important here, which is like the the aspect of journey versus the end result. So, so do you think that like, if you know, you go on this, this big quest, this big dream of yours, right? And you pursue that for five years, 10 years, you have a great time and you come up short. I yes. think that is one of the big fears of people that like you pursue, you spend so much time pursuing this and maybe you have a great time. Maybe you find meaning, maybe you find purpose, but you come up short and you fail and you stand before nothing. So how do yeah. you, how do you view that? Like, how can you? How can people basically still pursue that and, and you not be so afraid of then failing in the end? That's a really great question. Uh, this is a very profound question. And we've run across this in a lot of the moral exemplars that we've studied because a lot of them work on problems like curing poverty, for example, which at some point they realize there will always be poverty uh, way beyond my lifetime. Uh, they will say. And so, or working towards a lot of big causes that they, they just will not succeed in, uh, in conquering. Uh, and this is where the role of faith comes in. Faith is another virtue. And it could be religious faith, or it doesn't necessarily have to be doctrinal religious faith, although doctrinal religious faith can help a lot, 
but it could be any kind of faith that is faith in something beyond yourself and something transcendent. And, and so the idea is, for example, with uh, the people that have worked on poverty, they say, well, you know, I know that there may be even more poor people by the end of my life than at the beginning of my life. And so mm-hmm. it looks like I haven't even made a dent in the problem. However, I have faith that what I have done to help some people, a few people, to put my grain of sand on the pile in the right place, I have faith that that's going to make a difference in the long run. It may be after I'm no longer here. I may never see the result of it, but this is where I'm going to have faith. It's a little bit like uh, Moses and the promised land or something like that, uh, that you say, you know, I've moved things in the right direction to the best of my ability. I may not see the success of it. Uh, it may even look like a failure right now by the time. However, I have faith that my work has actually done something that people will benefit from. And if they have that faith, usually they're right. They usually have helped some people. They haven't cured the whole problem, but usually they have made a difference. And maybe they've Maybe it's noticeable, maybe not, but that, that faith is what keeps them going and gives them joy in the long run. Yeah, I love that. It reminds me of this idea. That I believe it comes from Buddhism of, of planting trees under which shade you never plan to sit. Meaning okay, good. Do, good. doing things that are right and doing them just because of that, even if you yourself never actually get, the, get to see the benefits of that, right? That's right. Or, or taking joy in very small moments. I'll tell you another quick story that uh, I heard once when I was, uh, had a chance to meet Bishop Desmond Tutu, uh, who, uh, who's his own um, spiritual mentor. One of them was Mother Teresa. And he was visiting her in Calcutta uh, when he was young, a young man. And he saw her pick up an infant or a two-year-old child, a very young child who was vomiting and sick. And the uh, mother Teresa played with the child for a little while. The child smiled for just a moment. And then tragically, the child died in mother Teresa's arms. And so Bishop Tutu, he was not a bishop at that time. uh, He was a young man. He said to her, how can you do this? How, this is so heartbreaking. How can you do this time after time again? Uh, It's so miserable and horrible as an experience. And she said to him, no, you don't understand. She said, uh, that moment of joy that I gave that child, that gave me such joy. And it put me in touch with, with God. And that was the moment. That, and that, is, that uh, even though the child died, my efforts even if it brought just a, a moment of solace and, and joy to that child, that's as much as I could do. And that made me feel that I was, I'm not quoting her exactly, but uh, this is what Bishop Tudu said. Uh, it made me feel that I was close to God and I had my own spiritual growth at that moment. So just taking that, taking joy in, in small achievements that you are able to accomplish, even if you're not able to save the whole world. That I think is the key. 
Wow, that is such a beautiful story. And I think especially nowadays in this, the social media world, it's so easy to get lost in numbers and thinking you have to change a million people's lives, right? In order for it to be to be worthwhile, right? But but the reality is that yes, if you can just make one person smile today, that already is a positive and great impact yes. on the world. Yeah, thank you for saying that. And you're right, the social media meme is all about scaling up. I immediately want to change the world and scale everything up. That's hubris. That's going, you know, uh, you, you don't have to change the whole world. You don't scale things up until you really have things right. And it's <laughs> yes. more important to do the right thing on a small level than to do something on a big level that you're not even sure if it's, a, if it's necessarily a good thing or a smart thing to do. Yeah, that's certainly so important. And so we've touched upon a few um, moral aspects already, which I know have been a huge part of your, your career and your work. So, so what are some things that you believe everybody should know and, and also try to practice in their lives around morality, around, you know, those values and virtues that you mentioned, like um, truthfulness, like humility, like faith? What are some of the most important things that you would like to impart on people? The number one thing, my number one rule is that the means that you accomplish something with, in other words, how you do it, is just as important as the ends that you're trying to achieve. And this is something that people, I think, forget all the time. They so much want uh, something um, good to happen, the environment to be cleaned up, the economy to be better, a certain political candidate to win, whatever that they think, well, if I cheat a little bit or if I lie or if I uh, do something wrong, it, it's, it's okay because I've achieved this big, wonderful, noble end. But in the long run, uh, when you use corrupt means, it undermines everything uh, and it does more harm than good. So that's my number one rule is whatever you do, do it in an honorable way, do it in the right way. Uh, and of course, you should go after important goals. Uh, but when you're trying to achieve those goals, uh, be honest, be compassionate, uh, be honorable. So I think that's, that's what I see as the biggest um, human mistake these days and, and probably throughout, throughout history. And the other thing I'll just mention, one other thing, which is we talked about this a little bit, have humility, the right kind of humility. Keep a sense of perspective, which means be open-minded. Uh, you may really believe in something, but at least consider that you may not know the whole truth, and you may even be wrong, and listen to other people. Uh, because uh, even if you really are convinced you're right, um, uh, don't be 100% sure of it. Uh, uh, keep an open mind and allow other people to disagree and listen to them. Yes. Yeah, so do you have in your own personal life, do you have some sort of moral practice that you engage in every single day? Or is it more of a daily reminding yourself that this is how I want to live? Or how can people really approach this practically? Well, I think one thing is, I mean, there, there's a number of practices. One thing, of course, is that uh, I always try to um, I always try to accomplish my work in a way that is um, uh, I, I share my work a lot with people and invite them to comment on it and to tell me 
uh, what they think I'm doing right, what they think I'm doing wrong, what kinds of things I should try to do that maybe I'm not ambitious enough or, or have never even realized that I sh here's a problem that I should try to do. And of course, I'm a teacher also. So I try very hard to understand how I can help my students in a way that uh, is, um, is not always obvious. I have to look, I have to always examine and be reflective about whether I'm doing the right thing. And on a personal level, uh, as a practice, I believe in, um, in daily prayer. I think uh, you can call it religious, you can call it just self-reflection, contemplation. Uh, but I, I think that just, uh, uh, just to check in with yourself and what you believe in and uh, on a daily basis uh, and to pray that you're doing the right thing, uh, I find that helpful anyway, to keep, keep myself centered. Yes, absolutely love it. Now, before we wrap it up here, where can our listeners you know, connect with you online, find more about you and your work? Yes, well... Um, for one thing, uh, nowadays with with Google and uh, and the internet, it's very easy to uh, to simply uh, uh, Google my name and you can see my books. Uh, my books are all listed uh, very very obviously. Uh, our publications, the uh, periodical publications that I do with my research team, is on the Stanford Center on Adolescence website. It's called the Stanford Center on Adolescence or Stanford COA. And we have a publications page and an events page where we list all of the podcasts that I do and webinars. And my whole team is a wonderful research team with my colleagues like Heather Malin. Uh, and all of their publications are there too, plus all of our former students. <laughs> so the Stanford Center on Adolescence has a good website that uh, lists uh, all the work that we're currently doing, the most recent. And as I said, my books are all easy to find through uh, through Google or Wikipedia or any of those sources. Fantastic. Now, what does it mean for you to max out your life? <laughs> well, I will say uh, just this very weekend, I had a max experience. This is very personal. I was able to have uh, all of my children and grandchildren come and visit. Wow. Very difficult to do in the pandemic. Yes. We had to make a lot of arrangements. But there it was in my backyard. We had to stay outside. We could not go inside. Uh, and we had the social distance. But there they all were in one meeting. And so that was, for me uh, 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 and my wife, uh, a personally max <laughs> I bet. Absolutely love that. Thank you so much for coming on the show. My pleasure. It's great to meet you and hope to be in touch in the future. All right, guys, that's it for today. I really hope you enjoyed this episode. I hope you gained some valuable ideas, tips, tools, tricks, mindsets, belief systems that will hopefully inspire you to take your life to the next level. At the end of the day, guys, it's all about application. The only thing that's going to set you apart tomorrow from where you are today is how much action you take with those ideas that you gained. And so I really want to challenge you at this point to you know, not just listen to this passively, to not just consume this, you know, passively just thinking about other things, but to really take those lessons, take those ideas that you just gained and start applying them to your life. So to really start taking action and sprinting towards those goals and those dreams that you have in your life. Now, guys, at this point, I want to ask you for a huge favor. If you enjoyed this episode, 
please consider heading over to iTunes and leaving a review as that helps me really grow the show and reach more people, impact even more people around the world. You know, if you have a family member, a friend, a loved one maybe that you think could benefit from this content, please consider you know, sharing it with them, forwarding to them as that helps us really build a community of like-minded people that are all about maxing out their lives. Now guys, with that being said, thanks so much for tuning in today. I really, really appreciate it. Stay strong and see you tomorrow.